Stock. Becky, look at her butt. Hi, and welcome to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio show, where every Tuesday night from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, we meet here on KineticHiFi.com to talk about everything that's related to living a fit life. My tagline and my philosophy is life begins when you stop chasing skinny, and that means to stop standing on the scale and trying to cram your body into certain things. It's really about enjoying life and using your body for everything that you can use it for, um, being appreciative for being able to eat clean and really just getting out there and, well, enjoying life. So tonight we have, um, I actually, I wanted to bring somebody in to talk about some food stuff because nutrition is huge when it comes to living a fit life. So I have Nikki here and Nikki and I met through Low Country Local First. Low Country Local First is an organization here in the Charleston area that originally started to bring local food producers together with local restaurants, together with local consumers. And so I joined because I am a local business owner and I actually rent a space in the co-working space called Local Works. So listeners, if you are in the Charleston area and you work from home or coffee shops or anything like that and you're looking for maybe more of a community, um, I just I am a part-time person at this space. I can use it up to 10 days per month. Uh, it's super, super um inexpensive for an office space. They also have full-time available. Um, and then you have resources in your space. So we have some people who do web design. We have some people who do um, other business services, uh, green roofs, things like that. So that's how Nikki and I met. And Nikki, she runs a program that re- that is related to agriculture. And this is very near and dear to my heart because some of you may know this and some of you may not. But I grew up on a farm in Missouri, just outside of Kansas City, about an hour and a half outside of Kansas City, outside of a town called Butler. Uh, my grandparents are farmers still to this day in their 70s farming. Um, they're pulling all the wheat out of the field right now. My mom sent me a video. Um, so I, I've i been around farming most of my life. Um, and then I, I think that it's really important for people to understand just how hard it is to grow stuff. I had somebody the other day that asked a, a question on Facebook and said, hey, do you think that organic is too expensive? And one person said, oh, yes, it's way too expensive. And my opinion is, you know, have you ever tried to grow anything, one? And have you ever tried to grow anything without chemicals and um, extra enhancements, two? So I think that buying organic is a luxury. And not every farmer can even farm organic. So it's really about being educated on what's available um, you know, farmers don't just decide, like, we're just going to use chemicals just because, like, it's fun. But um, there are certain things that happen to get us to that point. So I invited Nikki today to explain a little more about how we can support our own local farmers and our local produce and really help sustainability within the environment, too. So welcome, Nikki. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, excited to share. Yay. So um, what what did I miss in that intro? Okay, I think you did a great job. We'll bring you on staff. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Low Country Local First is a nonprofit, and we advocate for independent businesses and farmers. Our two main initiatives are buy local and eat local. So, that buy local side is really focused on those businesses like yourself, um, often that don't have spaces or that are retailers or service providers. And Local Works uh, is that kind of that headquarters for that part of the program. And the second program is Eat Local, um, which is really target, like you said, on local food producers and restaurants and. Consumers, and the headquarters for that is DirtWorks, which is our incubator farm on Johns Island. So those are our two main initiatives. Um, really, you know, trying to 
provide services for those folks that are in that industry, but also make sure they can connect with the customers and the consumers that are really demanding local goods um, and local fresh food. Yeah, and so I I want to kind of touch on this first because I I didn't realize they had this. I am from the tech field originally. I mean, I was a nuclear engineer, and then I worked as a defense contractor. Um, so I had heard about incubators, but it was always from the technology side of things. So this farming incubator, could you share a little bit about that? Because I think that's really interesting. Sure. Yeah, Dirtworks Incubator Farm is actually the first of its kind in South Carolina, and one of a handful in the entire Southeast. And it's essentially the very similar model to any kind of business incubation. But instead of getting a cubicle and a desk, you're going to be getting a tractor and some acreage. So it's, it's providing some low-risk opportunities for new farm businesses to get launched over the course of three years. That's great, because I've read some different stories about, um, like, a lot of, you know, I guess Wall Street workers in New York decide they want to go buy a farm in Vermont. And, I mean, it, you, there's a lot to farming. Uh, I, people think that it's, you know, it's very intensive. It is. A learning intensive, a manual labor intensive. Um, and then there are a lot of question marks out there. I feel like my grandparents are like, you know, it's a gamble every year because you yeah. never really know, right? Well, and it's still, it's a business. So it, right. I think people exactly. forget exactly. that it's not a giant garden. It's actually <laughs> a business that they're trying to run and create a profit with probably the most dynamic number of principles possible. Right. Talk, I mean, talk about risks. It's kind of incredible from season to season, from week to week, yes. not knowing what's going to happen. Yes. I mean, just, just remembering back when I was a kid and, you know, every single year, I can always, I can, I can almost remember, you know, which years were good and which years weren't good and listening to the bean prices come across or grain prices come across mostly soybeans come across the uh like the am station listen to all that so for anybody listening who has had any farming experience you might be able to identify with that part and if you haven't then this is great education for you so let's talk a little bit about um what sustainable farming is yeah, the word sustainability gets thrown around a lot. Um, and I think that for us, it's the holistic perspective. So we want to make sure that we're um, being conscious of the environment and we're being socially just uh, and, you know, taking care of the folks in the field uh, and also being environmentally sensitive um, so that we're not, you know, impacting in a negative way. And we want to be stewards of the land long term because we want to be able to grow this food from now and generations from now. And then that last piece that often gets left out is the economics that has to be economically viable um, for both the people that are growing the food and for people that want to be able to purchase the food. So it's really environmental, social, and economic are those, they call it the three-legged stool. Oh, that's that's interesting. So I actually, I want to dive a little bit deeper into each one of these because I understand it because I grew up on a farm and I can, I can, I have a, a sense of what might go into it and like what a better practice over another practice might be and I totally understand how you know you have to rotate crops because you're pulling certain nutrients out of the ground so could we talk about that just a tiny bit mm -hmm. yeah I, what you're looking at now with uh, farmers are interested in sustainable agriculture because they want to use their land season after season for decades and decades is that you have to do crop rotations you're doing uh, what they call integrated pest management so you're looking at the 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 whole farm as a system and you know you can't just take and take and take you have to invest back in that bank yeah um so that's a big part of what sustainable agriculture is about is making sure that you're a steward you're not just taking um it's kind of a give and a take and a rotation and being aware of what your soils are being aware of what the water situations are what inputs what your neighbors around you are doing um, and then how what you're growing is impacting the soil itself and creating an environment where your plants can succeed 
And, you know, the, the better the soil is and the more you take care of it, the less inputs you need to invest, which is, you know, definitely healthier for the consumers, but also more economically viable for the farmer because they're not spending money yeah. on chemicals and inputs. Yeah. And so a crop rotation for somebody that's not familiar with that, that's planting different crops, different years, different seasons, right? That mm-hmm. they, so some crops may add certain nutrients back into the ground. Some of them are taking them out, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Every different, different plant families need different nutrients and take different things from the soil and then what what a lot of organic farmers do is uh, cover crop so that's a crop that goes over the top of the soil um, during off seasons to kind of reinvest those nutrients in the soil that you're not harvesting out of so it's just there to build soil oh that's interesting see I didn't know that at all (laughs) green manure is a good way to think of it oh okay yeah okay that's really good so that's that's the other input you're talking about is fertilizers so Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize too like you can have natural fertilizers and then you also have more of the chemical based fertilizers correct Yeah, and there's a lot of misconceptions about, you know, what it means to be an organic farmer um, or what it means to to farm in general. And, you know, you can't you can't just use compost um, on a commercial scale and you can't just build your soil and depend on that every season. You're going to have to put some kind of, you know, mineral based um, nutrients back into the soil. And you're also in some cases going to have to have some kind of a you know, bagged or synthetic fertilizer, depending on what you're using. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's still inputs and in organics, there's still chemicals. They're just not synthetic. It's just a different structure and makeup. So you can still use pesticides. Um, they're just going to be natural plant-based pesticides. Yeah. So it's just a different mindset of, you know, you're still having to play that that game it's oh because it's a game dance you're that right. dance yeah. <laughs> yeah you're right and I loved how you said like you're right there are it's dynamic <laughs> to say the least every single thing between the sunlight and the rain and then your your soil quality um it's the temperatures it changes all the time yeah and, and that's you know when you're thinking about it from the consumer standpoint you know what's important to you what are your values um you need to think about who you're shopping from. And that's why we always say, know your farmer, know your farmer. Um, And that's how you get to know your food because you get to talk to them about why they're practicing certain principles, you know, how they're growing their food, what decisions they're making and having that relationship. So they can be a give and a take, you know, kind of question and answer scenario instead of just guessing. And when you're shopping at a more commercial scale, you're having to depend on certifications and labels. And, right. you know, and what that means can be the muddy, the, the water can be pretty muddy on that. Oh, it's extremely muddy. That's yeah. one of the things I try to cover because, you know, people come to me for general fitness and they say, oh, it says healthy on the package. And like, oh, that is so doesn't matter. <laughs> Natural doesn't matter. Um, even the organic certification, um, sometimes that's. That's super sketchy, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, yeah, you're right. Knowing your farmer. And there are some farmers out there that don't have the USDA certification as organic, yet they practice the organic. They have organic practices, mm-hmm. but that's just because the certification process is so cumbersome and expensive, right? Yeah, organic certification, is it's a marketing tool. It's not a production practice. It's a set of principles you can follow in your production. Um, but a farmer as an individual can decide however they want to produce on their land. And they're just basically not buying into that certification process and filling out that paperwork and having outside auditors come to their farm and you know by nature a lot of farmers don't want anyone on their property they don't want anyone else's opinion right <laughs> they're an independent oh, breed oh I know <laughs> <laughs> so um super independent <laughs> it kind of goes against the grain of a lot of the, the personality types of folks that are in farming and when you're looking at small farmers it doesn't always make sense to get organic certified right. the amount of time and energy you would have to invest in that so you know there's the majority of the farmers that we work with in the low country are not organic organic certified 
but the majority of them are using and go straight to them, right? Yeah, and there are most of them are using organic production practices. And mm. in some cases, folks are doing it because they may, at some points in the year, need to spray something yeah. because they don't want to have a total crop failure. But if you know them and, and you're on their newsletter or in their CSA bulletin, they will tell you yeah. what they sprayed, when they sprayed it, and why they sprayed it. Uh, and I think it's really interesting just to learn that, just to be in the loop and to know yeah. and to have that trust. You know, do I trust certifications at the store? No. Nope. I see them as marketing tools and, you know, I, I don't know those people. Yeah. So that's, you know, we're about the local economy and that's a big part of the value of, of shopping local and buying local is that you get to have the relationships with the people that are producing it and selling it. Ugh. And that's such, that's value. That's, there's so that's much value huge. in that and control. Yeah. I mean, I like to have a little bit of control. So <laughs> I think anybody listening to this likes a little bit of control, right? Cause we're <laughs> trying to learn about our health to control it a little bit more. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's, um, that's a really great point. I really like that. And, um, you know, these are all these things that they've kind of been asked of me over the years. I've been in, I've been doing my online fitness business for three years now. And I have a lot of people when they first start with me, they ask me about these things, about the labels, about um, where they should buy things. And, you know, I've always kind of directed them to their local farmers that, I needed this. This bridges that connection and explains the, the really big why and how. So we're going to take one quick break and then we'll be right back. Stop Chasing Skinny radio program, where every Tuesday night from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, you can find us on kinetichifi.com. Tonight we have Nikki, and she is talking to us about local its local produce, local producers, local foods. Um, it's a something very near and dear to my heart, growing up on a farm. And I also find it very important to invest in my nutrition. Um, I see this a lot of times. People will pay a lot of money for things like creams that go on their faces, but they skimp on their nutrition um, or they buy very expensive clothes but they skimp on nutrition and the nutrition is really the foundation of your whole body your whole being feeling well um, and it so really it's I see it as a total investment in my health and the example that I used when I first started this show was about the um, the little Facebook uh, I guess it would be a survey that said, do you think that that um, that healthier foods are too expensive? And unless you've tried to grow your own, I mean, you, you don't see it as a luxury, but I've tried to grow my own and I failed miserably. And I see it as a huge luxury to be able to spend. Uh, and sometimes it's not actually even more expensive. You just have to spend, you have to invest the time to find the local farmer and maybe you have to buy your, your produce from a couple different sources. Um, so Nikki, if you want to go ahead and just talk a little bit more about how to support the local economy, where we where we would find somebody. I mean, some people have heard of CSAs, but some people haven't. Yeah, um, Low Country Local First, uh, like I said, is really trying to connect those consumers with the producers. So we've created some guides and some resources out there for that. So we have an online business directory if you're looking for local goods in general and local farmers. Uh, but then we also have what's called the Farm Fresh Food Guide. 
and that tells you every farmer's market in Charleston, all the farmers, what they sell, and where they sell it. And that's online digitally, and we also have hard copies. So that's a great tool and a resource for folks if they're kind of just lost as to where to go. And there are um, 22 farmer's markets in Charleston. There's one every day of the week. Wow. So, you know, when people <laughs> say they can't find one, I'm like, you're not looking yeah. hard enough. And our population's only, what, like 500,000 or something like that? That's an impressive <laughs> number of farmer's markets. Yeah. Um, so that's one tool that you can use. And, you know, getting to know who those farmers are one at a time. And, you know, as far as the CSA, that's Community Supported Agriculture. And that's where the, the beginning of a season, you buy in and in return for a series of weeks, a farmer's going to give you a box of vegetables. And that's a great opportunity to learn what grows when, you know, what's in season here. Because I think we've got, there's a huge disconnect about what seasonality of, of produce is. You know, you can't get watermelons year round. Um, you shouldn't be able to get tomatoes year round. Um, you know, we do have an, an incredibly long growing season here. We can grow 39 fruits and vegetables just on wow. type, not even going into a variety. So there's a lot of opportunity to eat local here. Um, but yeah, using those tools on our, on our uh, website will be a, a good jumping off point for folks. And then once you get into a farmer's market that you enjoy, getting to know the farmers, asking them where they shop, asking them about their CSAs, building those relationships, finding out how they produce their food, what kind of things they're using uh, and what their values are and if they align with yours, because that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. You're right. You're right. Because some, some may be a little more conservative than others and, um, and some of them just, they may be able to offer more variety. They may not be quite as um, as I don't know, would, would that be conservative or? Well, some farms are more diverse in their production and um, some are really, really big on, you know, more um, innovative techniques and permaculture and biodynamics. Um, some are going to be focused on, you know, getting you the most variety. Some want to get, get you, um, you know, the most heirloom varieties out there. So there's some farmers that grow things that if you're a foodie and you're a chef and you want interesting herbs and, you know, very rare and unique vegetables, those are your folks. And then there's some that are growing large scale stock quantities of vegetables to get you good prices on, you know, what's your ex- traditional cooking vegetables. Oh, that's great. So know. you can kind of choose and, you know, choose yeah. what fits you. And then some farmers will say, I spray three times a year or I spray only when I need it. Um, but because of that, I'm able to offer you these varieties, these times of the year, these prices. Yeah. And maybe that sits well with you. Maybe it doesn't. So yeah. that's, you know, that's part of that exchange is finding out if it's a good fit for you. And yeah. then it takes the question out of it. And they're always happy to talk about what it is they're doing on their farm because it's their business and they want, they want your business. Yeah. Yeah. And far- you're right. Farmers are very passionate and they don't, I mean, it is a business, but people don't typically get into farming to make tons of money. Like, they no. do it because they love it, right? You're like, no, no. No, they don't. <laughs> Farmers um, work really, really, really hard um, for everything that they, they get. And they do they, – they pour everything into their farm. And it's a 24-7 kind of thing. Like, yeah. It's hard to go on vacation. You have – it's – Farming is tough. It's intense. Yeah. And just to speak to the price point, I think what you're saying kind of culminates and and proves the point that this isn't, you know, a 40 hour week job, um, you know, and you're thinking about pricing and how they're pricing. You know, if you're paying a little bit more for a local for a local vegetable, um, it's probably because it was grown with really great production practices and they were being good stewards and they were paying their workers fairly. Um, and, you know, you're looking at a vegetable that has traveled a really short distance, which yeah. means it's really fresh because the minute you harvest produce, it starts breaking down. So mm-hmm. it loses its nutritional value from the moment of harvest. And so something's coming from like Mexico. I mean, that's a that's an extensive travel time. It becomes a vehicle for water, basically. 
and it's you're losing the nutritional content. So they did studies of bagged spinach. They were from California, and you know these. Um, you know, you, you want to feel good about buying organic, and so you're buying this organic bagged spinach, baby spinach, and they were doing um, nutrient tests on it. And what they were finding is there was almost no vitamin C left wow. because it had broken down because yeah. the plant, from the moment you harvest it, is trying to return into soil. So it's trying to break down to its simplest, you know, compounds. Yeah. So you're not really, you're losing this opportunity for great health because you're you're stuck on this concept it has to be organic it has to be a certain shape a certain size it has to be convenient yeah why i mean why even spend the money on it if it's not it's just gonna be water anyway (laughs) you're just buying marketing you're buying packaging and you could be investing in a local farm that's growing something unique you can't buy at the store that Mm -hmm. tastes amazing that's a good story that's a great picture on instagram (laughs) it's a great picture it is a great picture (laughs) (laughs) um that's a story and that is investing in your community so that you have more farmers and parks and schools and better roads you know it's so, so much more meaningful and i think People are seeking an experience yeah. and you're eating three times a day. Why not make every single meal an awesome experience, an interesting story? Yeah. Um, and it, it does take time. It does take more energy. But in return, you get relationships and you have experiences. I can't yeah. think of a lot of times when I've gone to the grocery store and come back feeling like energized and like I've met people and talked about things and learned something new. And I usually yeah. leave stressed out and feeling like I spent a ton of money on things. I don't even know what I, I don't even know what's in my cart. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially if you know that how the nutrients break down, then you're like, oh, what am I even, what am I even going to do? And then the other piece of that too, is that a lot of times they have to pick it before it's actually ripe. So a lot of the nutrients never even fully develop. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you just, you miss out on that piece of it too. Yeah. I mean, if you've had a non-ripe tomato, one of those store-bought tomatoes, and then you've had an heirloom, it's not even in the same category. They're um, like two different colors. Well, and the amount of chemicals that have been input, not even considering the production practices, which, you know, the production practices were using synthetic fertilizers in the ground and then they were being sprayed with chemicals um, that were so dangerous that the people operating the equipment have to wear personal protective equipment. Mm. Um, and, And on top of that, they're picked early and then they're contained in containers and sprayed with gas. It's like, yeah. what are you even eating at that point? Yeah, <laughs> I don't right? even think that it's a vegetable nuts. anymore. Yeah. It's basically a vehicle for water and chemicals, which is wow. really disturbing. So what are some other things? Because something else that I learned, um, so like that that's really interesting how you said it was sprayed with gas as well. What are some of these other practices that people may not find common? Because I learned this when I lived in Costa Rica. I had this tree in my backyard, and it produced some kind of fruit. And I thought it was, I, I thought it was some unripe grapefruit or something like that because it was like like kind of like this yellowish green color so anyway I pulled it down opened it up I'm like oh that smells like an orange so I started googling some stuff and during that research um, I learned that a lot of times oranges are actually dyed orange because we expect them to be orange so like some things like that like what are some things that that we just think are common or the fact that you know we only buy like one variety of bananas but there's a bazillion of them out there like what are some things like that that you know we might see at a local farm that we just think oh well that that's normal all oranges are bright orange right yeah i mean i will uh shamelessly embarrass myself um the first time i bought a csa you know they you get this box of vegetables and i got it when they had first started in charleston so they you know they hadn't kite they they hadn't gotten to the list of what's in your box and the recipes right now you the get recipes. that yeah now you get the kind of a guide to now what... I'm like oh i know what to do with root vegetables awesome. yes <laughs> and there's like a picture on facebook that none of that existed yet so i got all these vegetables and i didn't know what they were at all and i grew up 
gardening and farming and you know I had to go to the store with my vegetables and I'm like doing like a side by side like who are you um and there was this one vegetable and I couldn't figure out what it was it kind of looked like collards but it wasn't and it smelled really familiar yeah and I mean I went on and on and finally I just gave up and I cut it up to compost to give it to my chickens and when I was cutting it up all of a sudden these little florets started shooting out and I was like oh my gosh that's broccoli No. and I never realized that you know, broccoli grows like collards and you're just eating the flower, but industrially they just harvest the flower. So you've wasted oh. this entire plant full of greens, but this farmer had harvested it at the base wow. and given you the greens because you can eat the whole thing. You can eat Absolutely. the stock, you can eat all of it. Oh. So from a consumer standpoint, I was just, it was trained that broccoli looks a certain way wow. and that you only eat one part of it. And that is a huge problem with foods in general and food waste and talking about nutrition you know you want to save money just use the whole vegetable yeah use all of it like all the like when i buy um or when i yeah when i buy carrots or something i'll have the the tops of the carrots Mm -hmm. and so i'll just i'll just throw those in my shakes like just throw them in the vitamix i know juicing you can juice any of it you know yeah (laughs) it's all fair game (laughs) yeah and then Mm -hmm. you know there's things like you know they they wax a lot of vegetables and they have to be sized certain sizes they call it grading um so you're looking at you know millions and millions of pounds of produce never makes it to the aisle because it doesn't look and it doesn't it's not shaped the way it's supposed to be for a consumer yeah and then when waxing too so waxing if they've sprayed it with some kind of chemicals and then they put the wax over the top of it then it's sealing all of those chemicals in right so there's like even washing it with whatever is not going to get it off yeah and i mean you think about it these are organic products they're porous they're absorbing you can't wash out something that has been absorbed into the leaf um, you can't undo that. It's not like it's just this perfectly sheen on this out out on the outside. Um, and so, I, you know, I always try and educate people on and remind them just yeah. to think about it. You know, think about what your vegetables are made out of. And do you think it's possible for a root vegetable that's been growing in chemicals its entire life to not have chemicals inside of it? Right. And, you, and you Google those videos of the girl with the organic potato versus the non-organic. And one of them just doesn't grow. Yeah. Well, she actually had three, right? She had yeah. The, she had the... Yeah, the organic, the non-organic, and then the organic from the actual farmer. Yeah. So the organic from the regular gro- um, grocery store had already been given, what is it, budnip? Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't growing either, even though it was organic. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, educating yourself on how things grow and what these chemicals can do. Um, I think it's kind of eye-opening and yeah. thinking about putting that in your body. Oh, I'm totally putting that video link on the show notes because that was <laughs> super eye-opening for me. I was like, no way. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, you know, I had, a, I had a good friend that he grew up his entire life was allergic to apples. Mm-hmm. I mean, mouth, it would make his gums bleed, make his tongue, tongue raw. And it wasn't until he was older um, and ended up dating a farmer, mm-hmm. which is how I met him, shockingly. <laughs> um, and it was actually that he was allergic to the wax and the pesticides on the outside of the apple. So he was really? never actually allergic to apples. Um, it was just right time he bit into it that was coating his teeth. That's interesting. And it's just disturbing to think about... Yeah. You know, just because we don't have an allergy doesn't mean our bodies are accepting it well. Right. So I think about what you eat as an investment in your health, like you were saying. Yeah. And you either pay for it now or you pay for it later. Yep. And once someone you know has gotten cancer or has, has Alzheimer's or gets ill, you will you will grasp at straws. I mean, you will eat anything. You will go on elimination diets. When my yeah. friends get pregnant, they all of a sudden they eat so healthy. Mm-hmm. And I just, I want people to have that mindset out the gate. Yeah. And, and not have to go through that process of knowing that you could have done something differently. Yeah. And it's yeah. right there and it's fun and it's tastes good. And it's, I mean, it it's, it's not sure, you know, yeah. and you only have to do it 
one thing at a time. Yeah. Pick one meal, one vegetable, once a week. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. Yeah. Well, I think even just the CSAs. Like the, I was introduced to CSAs when I lived in Seattle back in, I guess it was like 2004, 2003, 2004 was when I was first introduced to it. And same thing, like it would show up. But it showed up in my apartment building. I mean, I had an apartment building that had a doorman that, I mean, it just, it was a bin waiting for me at the bottom of my steps. So it was awesome. And some CSAs do that. And they'll Mm -hmm. drop off at at your gym. Like the gym that I go to, there's a CSA drop-off point there. So you can go to the gym, you can pick up your CSA. And it is cool because it does make you get out of your comfort zone. It it did give me recipes um, because I had no idea what to do with root vegetables or cauliflower or anything like that um so it gave recipes and just from a a health standpoint you're getting so much more biodiversity right like you're you're trying all these different nutrients when you're eating seasonally your body needs whatever it's what whatever's kind of growing in that area for that time so somebody eating in the middle of the summer is going to need something different from what you would be eating in the dead of winter up north for example like a watermelon in january in minnesota it's your body's not using the same nutrients in the same way. So that's really great to you as a CSA, local produce that's just coming straight to your door. Yeah, and you're getting things that nobody else has that you can't buy at the grocery store that are interesting. Which is cool. Which is, and it's fun. And, <laughs> it you know, fun. honestly, you can you can Google anything now. Yeah, so you, right. can, you can find any <laughs> recipe ever to wow your friends. And then the most simple things like kale chips or, you know, that – give you that feeling of like junk food a little bit but tastes really good (laughs) and it's Um, so healthy for you and it's so easy to make yeah I mean really simple stuff so you know you don't have to be top chef with these fancy vegetables yeah you know you can make a salad every week you can stew them you can make it you know I use a immersion blender like it's my job you know we make soups all the time because I'm like end of the week I'm like I don't know what else to do we're making a soup. I do the same thing. <laughs> a lot of times I'll just take my vegetables that are left over at the end of the week. I'll throw them on um, like a cookie sheet. I bake them for just a, just long enough to make them, like roast them, and just long enough to they're soft. Mm-hmm. And then I throw them all in my Ninja. Yeah. And then, he, and then you know, put some like vegetable stock or something yeah. in there to, to add for the liquid. But that's awesome. So you do that too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So do you roast yours or do you just throw them in there? How do you do it? I usually roast them, yeah. Yeah, yeah a little, little saute or... Yeah, yeah. I don't want to overcook them and like cook all the nutrients out of them that way too. But yeah. Yeah, so you do have to soften them up. Yeah, just throw them in there and then you have soup for the week. Yeah, and if you great. have the... Um, what's the really, really fancy, awesome... The Vitamix. The Vitamix. Yeah. It'll make a soup for you. It, it does. You just <laughs> turn it on long enough and it actually heats it up even, so... That blows my mind. <laughs> right? I know. You know, it, um, my ninja, my boyfriend actually bought it for me for my birthday and I think it's the gift that keeps on giving because I make something with it every single day for him. <laughs> so, um, but I was comparing the two and, you know, when I first looked at it, he said, I'll buy you a Vitamix and then I was like, that's a plane ticket. So, then I looked at the ninja and, I mean, it's, it's really great too, but... Um, you don't have to spend so much and you can still make tons of stuff food processors blenders whatever yeah yeah so we're gonna take one quick break and we'll be right back Welcome 
back to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio program where tonight we have Nikki and she's talking about how we can support our local farmers and support local farmers that support the local environment. So um, we were we were talking a little bit about kind of step one and I personally feel like um, an easy change to make a step one would be to sign up for a local CSA and Nikki was saying that you have to do it in the beginning of the season and then you get whatever they give to you. So it's great because you get a lot of variety um you know and and you never really you don't have to think about like what do I want to cook for dinner if you're like oh I have vegetables x y and z this week then this is what I'm cooking so it adds variety to it um it gives you a a good peace of mind to know that you're supporting a local farmer and then so past the, the CSA so like maybe somebody signs up for a CSA and you know their goal for that summer is to start using the vegetables from the CSA what would be something else that they could do in their life to easily transition into something more sustainable yeah they can the CSA is a great jumping off point it's a great education tool and you know some CSAs are just vegetables um, some have some fruits in them some you can get an e- some eggs added on sometimes there's some dairy or you know cheese or milk that you can add on um, but if that's not the case you know there's also um, community supported fisheries okay. so you can get a fish CSA um, there's community supported livestock so you can actually get beef um, chicken turkey uh, seasonally as well so so finding out what works for your family and always getting the share smaller than you think you need. Oh, that's a great tip. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I when I first got it, I was um, splitting it with somebody else. We were both vegetarian and we got the small share and we were both struggling mm-hmm. to handle all the produce. Yeah. Just cause it's, so you can share with friends too, right? Oh, I've, yeah. Okay. I've yeah. heard of people doing that. Hey, yeah. do you want a part of my share? And I, I hear about it a lot at offices, Okay, you know, where you're yeah. at the office together and, you know, lo- local works, we should do this, you know, get Ooh. a share. We can all kind of divvy it up. That's a great idea. Um, so, you know, thinking about how can you incorporate, you know, if you're if you're eating meats, how can you incorporate those meats and those fish, um, utilizing some of those eggs, getting excited about those recipes. Um, and then, you know, branching out and getting your family involved um, or your friends involved and making trips to the farmer's market and making it fun. Um, that I is fun. Usually they have food cooking there. Like, yeah. you can go on a Saturday morning. Go and for brunch, shop and, you know? Yeah. yeah. So there's a Sunday brunch market that I love going to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's food trucks there. There's music, you know, kid-friendly. And you can get all the stuff you need for the week. And then, um, you know, you're, you're probably going to still have to go to the grocery store. Yeah. So shopping at those grocery stores that are buying from local producers. Um, and here, you know, the vegetable bin is going to reopen. So that's a great source for food. Oh, great, um, yeah. But also Whole Foods, they do have, they have a great local procurement policy. So mm-hmm. they do have some local produce. And if you can't buy it from someone who's from Charleston or the Low Country, you know, think regional. Because yeah. I think people get hung up. Um, I recently got married, as we were talking about Congratulations. earlier. Congratulations. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted apple pie for uh-huh. my dessert. And, um, you know, I'm from North Carolina originally, and this is apple season. So, you know, we, we purchased apples um, through a buyer, through a farmer in North Carolina. And someone made a comment like, oh, I thought this would be the, the localist wedding ever. I'm like, we don't it's still local. We don't grow apples in Charleston. <laughs> and you have to get, you know, you, you have to let go of this, you know, so extreme localism. You yeah. know, we want to support local producers, but it's about eating regional. And there's going to be times in the year where I want citrus and you're yeah. going to have to get it from Florida. And that's regional. You know, yeah. it's not being shipped from another country. It's not being shipped across the country. Um, and following the seasons through that region. So not punishing yourself. Um, and I talked to a one mom and she was saying that, you know, her son is autistic and he loves strawberries and he eats them every single day. And she knows they're not in season year round. I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> right. You know, chase yeah. the season as far as you can regionally. And then when you have to, 
you'll have to get them from California. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I don't want people to feel, like, bullied into only eating local all the time. (laughs) That doesn't look very local. I hate my local stuff. (laughs) Oh, I hate going to the grocery store because I know everyone's looking at my cart. (laughs) Right? I know. I know. Everybody looks at my stuff and they go, oh, my gosh, she's eating junk. Yeah, I do. And you buy not so local sometimes. So (laughs) you do your best. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, there are a lot of opportunities to do farm tours. So going out and visiting the farms, um, asking the farmers if you can come out. Out, you know, making it a That's relationship. A great idea. It's so, so much fun. Even for families, or mm-hmm. especially for families, there are a lot of kids that don't understand where food comes from. They think that it comes from the grocery store. Yeah. And they don't understand, like, there's no connection there in their head that it actually comes from a plant. Yeah. Hmm. And that's where, you know, doing farm tours, you know, Ambrose Farms has some great UPIC um, and Boone Hall also does some I stuff. Love and it's so much fun. Yeah. And um, and I eat half of what I pick. They should weigh us before and after. I know. <laughs> um, and, you know, Legree does a great tour with um, to see the animals. So there's a lot of opportunities for that. Um, you know, but beyond that, it's it's really um, how can you take it home? You know, yeah. you can start a garden. You can support a community garden there's um we do low country crop mobs where you can come out and actually help farmers for a day that's um, cool. weeding and planting and kind of getting a grasp of what it means so that you can the, the educational process is fun yeah because just looking it up online and reading articles is not that exciting but yeah. if you're out there trying to garden yourself or you're working at a community garden or you're doing a crop mob yeah you're going to be asking questions and learning in that process oh again too for anybody who has children like that would that would be amazing I mean I grew up on a farm and in my garden with my grandma so I mean I just that's a great idea yeah for somebody that doesn't have that garden going on yeah and vo- there's a lot of volunteer opportunities too at school gardens you know the Green Hearts Project is always looking for volunteers okay. and I know a lot of people have learned through those programs about growing food yeah you know same with dirt works when we have our crop mobs people are learning we harvested sweet potatoes this last week and they were all learning that you can eat the greens Oh, sweet potatoes. Oh. They're great for you. So, I didn't know that. Now you know. Now I know. How do you, how do you cook greens of sweet potatoes? Do you, you can just... treat it like a salad green. You okay. know, you can eat it raw or you can saute it lightly. Yeah. Yeah. So I there's a lot of opportunities. It's, it's about having fun. Yeah. You know, and that's what, you know, making your workout fun and, and rewarding yourself with fun things. And you can make some of these things into fresh fruit popsicles and, you know, Ooh. finding creative and interesting ways to reward yourself with something healthy. And yeah. I think that local foods do that because, you know, I wait for there to be seasonal watermelons. So when I have a watermelon, it is the Amazing. best thing ever. You know, pom- <laughs> like pomegranates. Oh, so Ooh. good. You know, and they're coming up this fall. We'll have pomegranates. And it's like. Yeah. It's kind of nice to have something to look forward to and not have this constant, you know, you're always getting whatever you want when you want it, that instant gratification. Yeah, because that gets boring. And then people get tired of their food. I hear that a lot. I have a lot of clients that will ask me for new recipes because they're tired of, of foods. And, I mean, I, it's surprising to me every time because I think that there's an overabundance of recipes, to tell you the truth. Oh, it's overwhelming. Just Google it. But <laughs> I think what they're really asking for is just some variety in what they could be eating. So... That, that would be great. So if you sign up for a CSA or you go visit a farm, well, those ideas have already just been put in front of you. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take one quick break here, and then I want to come back, and I want to talk about local restaurants because I think that's really, really huge. Um, we're super lucky down here. So we'll be right back.
welcome back to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio program, where tonight we have Nikki, and she's talking to us about buying local. And we've been talking about how you can eat local, and let's talk a little more about buying local. So we, Low Country Local First is a nonprofit organization that I'm a part of that um, they really connect the local farmers with the local restaurants, too. So let's talk a little bit about local restaurants, because... I think that we are super spoiled here in the low country. Um, Charleston, the the city of Charleston, there's really not very many local or chains in the local area. They like to keep it local. So I really love that. Um, so let's talk about how we can support those local restaurants here, why we want to, and then maybe how somebody else in a different area could support their local farm-to-table kind of restaurants. Yeah, it's uh, it's always a pleasure supporting the farm-to-table movement. Um, farm-to-table. D- Some people don't even know farm-to-table means yeah. really, like, came from the farm, went to your table, <laughs> which is, I mean, like it took, I was like, farm-to-what? And I was from a farm. So anyway, so yeah. farm to table. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a delicious movement. It is um, delicious <laughs> and colorful. It's so pretty. So, you know, when we were talking earlier about how amazing these vegetables are and how unique the varieties can be and the flavors that can come across that, no one appreciates that more than a chef. Mm. So, you know, we were lucky enough in Charleston to actually have a handful of chefs and probably more importantly, a handful of farmers that were just really pushing that movement uphill. And um, Celeste Albers is one of those, the women that really kind of pioneered. And she was bringing produce to the back doors of chefs saying, you need to try this. You know, I know you have a different budget. I know you're buying from these larger, you know, companies, but try what I've got. It's different. It's unique. It's interesting. It's in season. Um, And through that, really, we're able to kind of open the eyes of some chefs. And, you know, chefs are very celebrity oriented. So if a well-known chef is doing it, then all all the new chefs want to follow Mm -hmm. follow the trail. So we were lucky that that happened in Charleston. And what we're seeing now is that it's become kind of a foundational principle if you are a you know locally owned restaurant that you need to at least be considering buying local. Not all local restaurants buy local. And um, for a lot of them, it comes down to, you know, their mission for their business and their bottom line and what their their values and goals are. Um, some of them are still learning mm-hmm. because it is it's definitely can be challenging to buy in season and from multiple producers. Um, you know, we have um, organizations like Limehouse Produce and Grow Food Carolina that are, you know, obviously help connect mm-hmm. and play that middleman role uh, to make it easier for chefs to kind of one-stop shop. But what we're seeing is that these a lot of these restaurants have very strong relationships with the farmers. So instead of going to a restaurant and expecting the same thing every week, as a, as a consumer, you have the opportunity to never know what the special is going to be. I love that. You know, <laughs> there's a set menu and they're going to be using some consist. there's going to be some consistency, but it's just innovation yeah. every time. And a lot of them have a local salad or a local entree or even a local cocktail that's kind of celebrating these local flavors. And that's your opportunity, I think, to kind of try it on the chef's terms. Um, and, and they have come up with the most amazingly innovative creations yeah. that can introduce you to different vegetables that you maybe you got in your CSA box and you just floundered because you're like, right. what totally do I do that. with kohlrabi? <laughs> it looks like a squid. Like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do with it. I have totally done that. And that's how I learned about how to use kohlrabi was actually at a, at a restaurant. I had actually sold them kohlrabi and the chef invited me back for a salad and he had grated it with a cheese grater over top of the salad. And oh. I just, it was like, totally mind-blowing and eye-opening because the yeah. taste was too strong for me you know otherwise in, in chunks yeah. but ground it was just perfect so um you know a lot of the the farm a lot of the chefs are very excited to share 
um, not only what they've used as ingredients, but where they got it from. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of restaurants um, that you can go to that they have the chefs up on the wall. And it's not just, you know, it's not just Husk and McCready's, you know, right. it's Butcher and the Bee and it's Evo Pizza, um, you know, some of these smaller restaurants that are, really believe in buying local. Yeah. And then I think, you know, what we always try to encourage folks to do is that when you're at the restaurant, ask the server. If the server doesn't know, ask the manager. Tell the manager, if you had it, I would buy it. Because that's how they're making business decisions. Uh, it's consumer demand. Yep. So if no one's asking for local and no one's questioning the fact that they've got, quote unquote, ripe, vine ripe tomatoes um, totally off season, yeah. uh, they're not going to hold, no one's holding them accountable. They're not going to yeah, change. I love that positive peer pressure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but also know that there are some, you know, season extension techniques. I, I had someone tell me that they kind of called a restaurant out for having tomato tomatoes off season, yeah, and they were actually buying hydroponic tomatoes. <laughs> oh, really? So <laughs> well. you don't want to accuse anyone, but you know, positively encourage them to buy yeah. local. Yeah, well, it just tastes so much better, like you said, and and to know that it came from somebody local, and then it's nice to see like the chefs. So yes, they are celebrity oriented. They are also super competitive. So it's really cool to see them like, oh, I do this and I do that. And um, I was at the Good Business Summit, which is a local. Um, it was put on by the Low Country Local First organization here, and there were a lot of speakers that talked about their local businesses. And there was a very well known chef in the area, and it was cool because he was telling his story about fish. And he said that he um, he called up the actually it was it was interesting because it was the fisherman's wife who was on stage and the chef and she said yeah I got a phone call from him and he said just bring me anything that's unique and so they the fisherman dropped off a whole a whole entire container full of this this these different fish and she was able or the the chef was able to make this amazing creation out of it and create something that you know the fish was really going for like bait fish prices like it was really low prices the fishermen were struggling because they couldn't catch the quote unquote popular fish to serve and so there was there was this huge gap that was bridged there between the fishermen what was available the chef and now the chef is you know he's everybody loved it so he was well known for that particular fish which i mean everything was everything took care of itself right there well that's sustainability in business you know we want chefs to be buying things that are different or easier for farmers to grow or buying it when it's you know not pretty and they can use it in in stocks and soup and it's okay if the yeah. vegetables looks a little funny or isn't to grade um so i think we're seeing a lot of awesome relationships being forged yeah. and you know one of the things we do um every april is eat local month and that's just a month-long celebration of eating local and through that we do um the chef's potluck and that mm. event is a showcasing of local tasting dishes and we pair like 15 chefs with over 20 producers and each chef does two tasting dishes which that means there's like fantastic. over 30 tasting dishes, all local food. Wow. So it's part of the event was to show people, you know, look at what you could do. Yeah. And it's all similar ingredients and they're all doing something totally different. Yeah. And using vegetables for desserts and like, I mean, doing all kinds of like funky and interesting things. I love that. Um, and during that month, we have the Eat Local Challenge. Yeah. So the whole month we send out folks resources and recipes and blog posts and activities they can do. Um, we do a tasting that's similar to the chef's potluck um, called the Plow to Chow um, at the Charleston Farmer's Market. So you know, there's a lot of a lot of activities out there. If you want to learn about eating local and you want to do it in a more fun way, yeah. you know, there's oyster roasts and the Wine and Food Festival. And um, then there's, you know, more like local, like the Grits Festival and the Shrimp Festival. 
Um, so there's a lot of ways you can kind of learn about local foods in a fun way with your family. That's I mean, awesome. We just went to the mac and cheese competition i'm not sure if that counts as a vegetable i know in some places in the south it does <laughs> i i say it's it's good it's good it was local right so <laughs> we we highlighted a local ingredient so awesome. then that's what mattered at that festival <laughs> well for listeners too um i get questions all the time from people that i know mostly through social media and um some of these people i have never even met in person but they'll they will be planning a trip to charleston and they say you know what are some of the things that i absolutely have to do I highly recommend and we'll put we'll put some links in here to some of these events but I highly recommend checking out whatever kind of food festivals are going on there is something going on here all the time and that's even better that it's supporting local producers oh yeah and it's I mean it's more fun because it's fresh and it's uh in season and you get to meet the farmers and yeah I mean that's southerners we like to celebrate food and i think that's an amazing thing it's an amazing part of our culture yeah and you know i think we're in some places people talk about oh it's you know it's fried it's butter and you know there's a lot of unhealthy ingredients um but i think it's about moderation and celebrating those things you mean grits are very healthy for you and you know buttermilk is very healthy it's just not eating it three yeah, times a day every excess. day yeah <laughs> right. um so you know celebrating the southern things that are amazing and finding innovative kind of turns on them i've seen um some like you know faux fried okra and like there's some Ooh. fun recipes out there that kind of have a similar flavor yeah you know and a similar texture that, feel, that yeah. are using alternative techniques so yeah. getting creative with kind of our southern recipes right. and our local ingredients and doing it in a more interesting or innovative way and the one thing I always tell people is that even if you grew up and you you tried it and you didn't like it, mm, try it again. again. Because I did not like sweet peas growing up. I mean, to this day, the thing, the thought of canned sweet peas, like, oh, makes me gag. Canned, you just canned. Ugh. Ugh. And I thought that's how I thought they tasted. Right. I had no idea. And then <laughs> I worked for know. a farmer, and he was shelling them fresh, and he's like, they're like candy. And I tried one, and they are like candy. Mm. And one of my good friends made it into a sweet pea ice cream. <gasps> didn't add any sugar. They're that sweet. I had no idea. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even guess that either. So trying it your way, and you know, I yeah. remember my grandmother like she would overcook some vegetables to death. Right. And now as an adult, I try them lightly sautéed, or even I had a chef that was showcasing radishes, and they just lightly steamed them, Ooh. and then s- some sea salt and butter, just a tiny little bit. Really, best radish so you, ever. So you ate them kind of like Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Really. Oh, so I put them on my salad, but yeah, they're a little I can't too eat them much raw. the other way. Okay. Yeah. So I you know, that. thinking creatively about these vegetables. Absolutely. And not getting stuck in this traditional rut. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's the traditional rut. And I will say, too, from the health standpoint, um, that some of these quote-unquote unhealthy um, southern foods, like the fried chicken or like the mac and cheese, that kind of thing, honestly... If I'm going to have a like a cheat meal, something like that is actually not bad. It's because you're having something that is wholesome and it's real food. So if you were going to look at a cheat meal, because I get this question all the time about like cheating on, you know, what's good, what's bad, or, you know, somebody thinking, oh, I ate so bad. Um, from a health standpoint, to have a meal with like fried chicken and some mac and cheese and some collard greens that maybe has like butter on it is it may seem unhealthy it's not terrible though I would take that over like overindulging in the sweets any day 
Um, or health, processed foods. Oh, the processed foods. You're right. So like a restaurant, there are some restaurants, I'm probably not going to name names right now, but there are some restaurants that are chain restaurants that they don't even actually produce the food in their restaurant. So if you can imagine that, what's the point, right? They actually produce it in some kind of factory kitchen. Then they package it up and it has all these preservatives in it. And then they send it to the restaurant where it can be reheated. So... I mean, that just sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> so I will take some fried chicken <laughs> with some buttermilk mix biscuit and some collard greens and butter and you name it. I will take that over that processed stuff any day. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's celebration. You know, right. food is, it's you're celebrating what grows here. You're celebrating what someone harvested, yeah. someone who worked hard um, and grew it for you and harvested it. And, you know, all it takes is growing one tomato plant or one thing of herbs and you cook it yourself, and it is like the best thing you've ever had. It is right <laughs> because you you know you appreciate it. It's like somehow that tomato is sweeter. Yeah. I mean, I had a plum tree. I had one plum, one plum. It was one. the best plum <laughs> ever. Ever. <laughs> so you know, it's getting excited about it, finding ways to get it excited excited about it. And if you're not, there are plenty of tools out there. There are things you can go online and you can order that are, you know, local companies that will put together meals for you. They're using local fresh ingredients. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of ways you can you can navigate around it if you if you want to. Yeah. It's you're right. It's just looking out there and, and being aware of what and what to ask available. for. Yeah. Right. What's it yeah. What to ask for. And being savvy. I mean, no one wants to feel stupid. So no. if you learn seasonality, we have a ripe chart that's also online tells you what's in season when. So learning that so you can be savvy, so you can be at the market or at a restaurant and you can have an, an intellectual conversation about is this in season or not or, you know, questioning why they're doing a certain thing a certain way um, and letting them know that you care enough to ask and you care enough to learn about it and that you would pay the money to support true local foods. Yeah, yeah. Because I can't remember, maybe, maybe you do or don't remember the statistic, but what is it, the statistic about purchasing locally like what's the number I can't remember like for every dollar that's spent locally a certain percentage stays local yeah so if you go if you were at a, a chain uh, store you're looking at like 10 cents on a dollar mm. um, and if you're at a local business it's between 40 and 60 cents a dollar are getting reinvested in the community that's so awesome. it's economic leakage I mean we're losing that money to other communities um, and they're getting to use it for their schools and their roads and their parks yeah um, so why not support someone here that's your neighbor that's you know trying to build a business and that you know their values and their business practices yeah yeah that's huge that that's really huge because yeah it does align with you and then just connecting and and I I talk about this sometimes that you know in this this day and age where we do have so much what seems to be connectivity through technology people have never felt more disconnected Mm -hmm. so to be able to talk about your food with that local person and just food in general I think um, just people's philosophies on it and how it's seen like it's you know if you look at it like um, the way we've been talking about it it's nourishment it's it's great to have it um, in your in your life versus something to be feared or avoided or anything like that like going back to the life begins when you stop chasing skinny um you know there's something to be said for spending an evening chopping vegetables and putting it together it's kind of therapeutic even yeah and I used to make it a part of you know my health routine I used to bike to the farmer's market every day you know or not every day every weekend every day that's a lot every day that would be (laughs) you are in such good shape (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm eating that much food all the time. Um, I did do that when I lived in Costa Rica, though. I biked to the market every day. Um, yeah, so, you know, biking to the market and making it a part of that, you know, that routine. And you can, you become savvy. Yeah. You know, if I want the social engagement in the market, I go a little later. If I just want to get my vegetables and leave, I go first thing in the morning. Yeah. You know, you just learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's part of the, the fun of the process is figuring yeah. that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you brought up the um, the farmer's market and to have brunch at the farmer's market because I did that a lot last year and I need to get back into it. So we're going to post all these links in the show notes. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with us? No, just thank you for having me and awesome. thank you for letting me share. Oh, thanks for coming in. I'm sure I, I'll have you again sometime in the future because this is something I am very passionate about. I think it just takes a little education um, to make it a little less confusing. It's not nearly as complicated as as people might make it seem. I know marketers love to tell you how easy and convenient and fast and da-da-da, but really sometimes you speed up when you slow down. So um, thank you so much for coming out today and thanks for listening. I hope you have a great night and catch us next week on kineticifi.com from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time.